0: Welcome to The Rise of the Ecopreneur, a podcast presented to you by Ubuntu. Ubuntu is a collaboration platform connecting sustainability changemakers all across the globe. I'm your host, Shelby, otherwise known as Shelbyzel, on YouTube, where I make other sustainability content. And each week on the podcast, I'll be speaking to environmental changemakers whose research, campaigns, innovations are helping to create a more sustainable future. So if this sounds like something you'd be interested in, make sure to follow us on your favorite podcasting platform and stay tuned for future episodes. Today on the podcast, we'll be speaking with Ryan Hunt, who is the creator and founder of Algix, which also created Bloom Foam. And Bloom Foam is made from algae, which is literally something that is harming our environment, has the potential to do a lot of destruction in our natural ecosystems, and they take that algae and they turn it into a foam that is currently being used in shoes, and it can replace petroleum-derived products. So it's an amazing uh, opportunity for us all to learn a little bit about eutrophication, algae and the really cool products they're making from bloom foam so let's hear a little bit more about that from ryan welcome to the podcast ryan thank you shelby absolutely thank you so much for being here i'm really excited to get into this i think uh, this topic is going to be very interesting for a wide variety of people, um, because we're talking about something that most people would perceive as gross, just algae in the water. Um, And then we're going to talk about how you turned it into something really cool, like shoes made from that. So uh, if you could tell us a little bit about where you started and how Algix and Bloom became to be.
1: Great. Yeah. Well, thank you for having me on the show. Um, Yeah, my background's in, in physics and bioengineering. I went to the University of Georgia and Uh, in graduate school i worked in the biorefining and carbon cycling program where we uh, researched uh, next generation uh, feedstocks for biofuels and biomaterials and other renewable applications so we were working on pyrolysis gasification anaerobic digestion and water remediation uh, using algae as a mechanism to transform or upcycle that pollution into plant biomass. And then we, by 2008, 2009, we began looking for ways to valorize that biomass, create value from it that was outside of the scope of biofuels. And that was when we really did material out of the protein rich algae biomass. So one of our big discoveries was that as uh, algae is being used to clean water, we were actually treating textile wastewater and removing phosphorus and nitrogen ammonia from that textile wastewater mm-hmm. uh, we found that the growth rate and the oil production rates were mutually exclusive meaning that as we cleaned more water and the algae grew faster we got less oil so mm. it wasn't very good for biofuels but we did get a lot of protein which turns out is good for uh, plastics and we also found that there was a decent mineral fraction there. And minerals like calcium carbonate have a long history of use in, in plastics as a filler. So in 2009, we started making the very first algae plastic composites, uh, which really proved the concept that we could uh, transform and upcycle pollution into a you know more valuable product. Mm-hmm. And based upon that research, uh, that really got me thinking about entrepreneurial path, and, uh, and that was really the founding of what led to the creation of algics and ultimately uh, bloom and, and bloom foams
0: understand why this new innovation is so cool and why bloom foam is such a great solution we first have to understand why eutrophication and algae is a problem to our environment in the first place we need to know about how this impacts humans our ecosystems and other animals at large so we're going to get into a little bit more of a science heavy topic right here but stick with it and try to do some visualization i think that'll help a lot some people might not realize why algae is a pollution so I kind of want to explain that just a little bit for them or let you explain that a little bit for them sure yeah so where does the algae come from how is it created and why is it a problem
1: well as society has grown our wastewaters contain uh, two types of things organic nutrients and inorganic nutrients the organic nutrients usually get treated through conventional water treatment processes so those get broken down and ultimately turn into inorganic compounds such as ammonia nitrates and phosphates and those are really known as fertilizers i mean that's some that's some of the materials that we use to fertilize our Mm -hmm. our crops and plants Um, however in the water treatment scenario or an industrial scenario even small amounts of these can lead to algae blooms and so what happens is the water is uh, discharged into the environment, either intentionally or unintentionally. And uh, as it accumulates, as those, those phosphates and ammonia and nitrogen compounds accumulate in the environment, uh, combine that with warmer temperatures and, and abundance of sunlight, you get uh, algae blooms that will occur in you know, lakes, ponds, rivers, estuaries, et cetera. And mm-hmm. those algae blooms can lead to problems. One of the problems is that if you have a lot of nutrients and you get a lot of algae, the algae can actually at nighttime absorb all of the oxygen because they respire at nighttime when the sunlight goes away, and that can suffocate the ecosystem. So that leads to the fish deaths and other types of ecosystem uh, collapses, and that's called eutrophication. Mm -hmm. Furthermore, if it gets so out of whack, there's so much algae there, it can start to stack on top of itself and get very thick. It can start to rot. It can start to produce toxins, um, mm. and uh, and that can lead to water quality drinking issues. So if you have this happening in a reservoir where the you know local community is pulling their drinking water from, and the, there's a big algae bloom there that's uncontrolled, and it gets to the severity uh, that there starts to be toxins you know being produced, um, which doesn't always happen, but it can happen. And um, and then that can ob- obviously impact society. Now, furthermore, those, that same bloom, like in the cases in Florida, they end mm-hmm. up uh, being basically washed out to the ocean. So these algae blooms are happening in, in rivers and, and uh, in lakes and estuaries, and they're, and they're moving out towards the coast with the water flow. And uh, a lot of these nutrients are originating from agricultural runoff, uh, wastewater treatment systems, leaky septic systems, et cetera and those nutrients make it to the ocean where they can feed red tides so if you've heard about the red tide events those are big algae blooms that are occurring in the ocean Mm -hmm. as a result of these nutrients essentially making their way all the way to the coasts and they can continue to feed on that nutrient as long as there's uh you know a flow of either algae bloom itself so like a green or blue green algae bloom that's decaying in the ocean um, and then a different species called red tide, or we call it red tide, is actually a, it's a type of spe- a type of algae, okay. dinoflagellate, and that can lead to manatee uh, deaths and dolphin deaths and other sorts of ecosystem problems.
0: Yeah, we saw that earlier last year, or I guess late last year in Florida, right? That's the what was happening it, was, it was the
1: second worst red tide in history. The worst one was in 2014, and I think the one last year was like lasting over 14 months. It was really bad. It, they had yeah. 211 confirmed manatee deaths. Um, lots of dolphins died. It was it was a problem, big
0: problem. It's something also really hard to stop from the source because a lot of them are non-point source sources of pollution. Correct? Exactly. Yeah. So it's a really good. It's a really cool place for algics. Uh, to be, to be able to harvest that sort of thing. Um, like you're saying, like uh, more upstream from rivers and things like that, right? Is that mostly? Yeah. The yeah, idea I guess is tell us where you, guess, tell us yeah, where you harvest algae and all that sort of good yeah. stuff. Yeah.
1: So, I mean, there's two fundamental approaches. There's a reactive approach and a proactive approach. So right now, I mean, I'd say that primarily we are being reactive because the algae blooms are, are have, have been occurring and we're trying to fix it, right? So, this is really a uh, environmental remediation approach where we're going to the source Mm -hmm. where the nutrients have already been accumulated. There's an algae bloom there. So these are like big lakes, Lake Okeechobee, Lake Tide, Lake Erie, uh, Lake Utah, are I think some of the more notable examples. And the concept is that we go and deploy mobile algae harvesting systems or if it's bad enough, like in Lake Tai, actually, uh, and it's you know it's it's a similar location all the time. You can build you know brick and mortar infrastructure to clean the water. So you're essentially filtering the algae out of uh,
0: the local environment. That's a that's a perfect explanation. I think that gives a lot of people a really good picture of kind of what's going on. Now that Ryan has given us a really great picture of what the problem is, let's talk solution. We'll talk about Algex and their product called Bloom Foam, which is what they created to stop the waste and upcycle it into an awesome material. Again, visualization is going to be really important for this part because we're going to kind of talk about how the algae is collected and how it's transformed into a product. So keep that in mind and let's get into the Bloom Foam. So you, you guys are coming in where the harvesting is being done, more downstream. How are you taking that algae and turning it into a product? What are you adding to it, and what are the next steps after harvesting?
1: Perfect. Well, this is really where uh, my my, my graduate research came in, and, and then the innovations and the development work of the past eight and a half years at Algix has, has created a, an infrastructure and a technology to uh, transform the plant biomass, which is the algae biomass. Algaes are, are right. you know, single cell plants fundamentally. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they're a little bit different, but, uh, yeah. and we we use two different types of technologies. One is we've got to get the proper particle size. And, um, and so we use special types of milling equipment to uh, reduce the algae cells to a certain size and kind of break open the cell walls to allow access to the proteins and then we use what's called twin screw extrusion compounding. And basically, we're applying heat, pressure, and blending the algae with uh, you know, traditional polymers, uh, either biodegradable polymers or durable polymers, depending on the end use application. So in one case, we can blend the algae with a biodegradable resin that provides a end product that can be molded, injection molded, or extruded into a product that will then break down in the environment under a composting environment. Um, Alternatively, we can take that algae and put it into a durable resin where the uh, polymer is being used for maybe a little bit higher value or a higher um, performance application. So, for instance, the footwear insoles are a perfect example of that. It's a very high performance application. The bioplastics aren't quite to that technological level yet, at least from what we've been trying to do. And in that situation, you're essentially sequestering or, you know, uh, uh, locking up the pollution, the nutrients, the phosphorus, the nitrogen, the carbon dioxide that the algae absorbed during its life cycle, and you're transforming it and displacing traditional petroleum based products. So you're reducing the amount of petroleum used or fossil fuels, whichever one it is, and then uh, it is being used in a durable, more valuable, longer lifetime product that hopefully has uh, not just a long lifetime, but also, uh, you know, everyday use. So we want to bring value to to people and use this technology as a way to raise awareness about our water quality issues. And the best way that we've seen to do that is to use uh, a product like a fashion product, a footwear product, a shoe that people are going to wear daily. They're going to put it on in the morning, think about, oh, okay, yeah, you know what, I need to be uh, thinking about ways to benefit the environment or talk to talk to people about, um, you know, how new technology can provide positive impacts to our environment and not just continue to, um, you know, deplete our natural resources.
0: So obviously, I everything you've said so far, I'm nerding out over because I've mentioned to you before, I have a really big interest in eutrophication. And obviously, as a sustainability influencer, products like this are perfect for like my niche but I'm also thinking that for the average consumer or like the traditional market marketing shoes that are made from algae maybe there were some challenges there uh, maybe you guys tested that out with some other products along the way
1: yeah so the, the the building the brand so you know our company's called Algix that's our really our R&D group and it's it's the holding company it's where all the investment has gone to really build the technology and build the infrastructure and. Develop these, you know, divisions that essentially have integrated into a vertical supply chain. Meaning, we can take you know, all the way down to the pond, all the way to a product. Uh, we have developed that entire supply chain and the technologies that are required in each step including Mm -hmm. not just the technical side, but also the business side. But once we got once we built that, we realized, well, we've done all this amazing stuff and we haven't told anybody about it. So (laughs) we we kind of felt like we were like a really good, you know, best kept secret. (laughs) You know, so this past year in 18, with the help of some of our brands like vivo barefoot we've you know made some pr- some products that have gone to the market our first product actually was with kelly slater who's a world famous surfer he used our our resin or our algae plastic in a, in a foam a bloom foam component for surfwear, surfboard traction pads mm. and that okay. was a nice connection because a he's you know he's a he's a you know, world famous surfer he's an environmentalist He he's from florida originally so it kind of hit close to home for him yeah and he promotes us and he talks about you know using the algae to clean water and clean the environment and then make a valuable product that also is used in that environment you know in the ocean and surfing um so that was really our first product and that was the first step at us kind of getting you know in wired magazine and getting some publicity in smithsonian and that type of stuff and then furthermore with vivo barefoot they had a really big campaign for our first shoe. Uh, that is a, a really neat product. It's very complicated geometry. It was a very complicated shoe to make. It was probably not the best pick for our first try at, at, a, at a commercial product. But after a few months of tweaking, we got it working. And we are in production with those for a year, almost two years now. Sold a lot of them. Uh, obviously with our with the material barefoot's product we're just helping provide the raw material to make the shoe Um, but through their marketing campaigns they've been talking about the water shoe tying it to clean water and and then now more recently this you know we've been promoting bloom as its own brand that is our really our go to market brand for consumer awareness and having to overcome You know, it kind of changed the perception from, like you said, you know, pond scum and green water (laughs) and the stuff that infests your pool to something cool that's, hey, this is a sustainable material that has the best environmental impact of any agricultural crop that we're aware of. And we've we've compared this to corn, soybeans, sugarcane. And the real, you know, the real point is that algae can clean water where other terrestrial crops are used using fertilizer. So here we are basically using a waste nutrient one of the lowest value pollutants there are, you know, ammonia and nitrogen and phosphorus and carbon dioxide, and we're able to upcycle it into something of value. And so I think that that story that, you know, which is relatively simple to understand, has been the the element that people, brands, and I think the consumers are resonating with to say, hey, here's something that we that I can touch, feel, it's real, I can wear it, I can talk about it. It's more real than just biofuels, right? Biofuels is a liquid that I can't take on an airplane and show at a conference or, you know, I can't yeah. go show it to my friends at at, at school or work or wherever, you know? Like it, you know, I burn it and it's gone, right? And then it turns back yeah. into CO2. Whereas here, I've got a product that took that pollution and made something awesome out of it and it's going to last for a long time and hopefully these shoes last for you know five ten years or longer and and have a good lifetime
0: i really like that saying upcycling pollution because you're right it's more than just a sustainable type product because it biodegrades or it's plant-based it's it's actual pollution turned into something more yeah. valuable. I think that's so cool. So everything up to this point sounds like Algex has had a pretty soft, smooth ride. It sounds like everything's just really cool <laughs> and everyone's loving your product, but I'm sure it's definitely not been that way behind the scenes. So what were some of the challenges you faced during this whole process? Yeah,
1: it's been, it's been a, a roller coaster of a ride. Uh, I would suggest that startups are not for the faint of heart. It's been, so we've had some extreme highs and some extreme lows, In the beginning, in the early days, I would say one of our more challenging times was after we started the company and we, you know, developed our first proof of concepts. We we showed that we could actually make these plastics out of algae and we got real excited and we started talking to brands about it. We then realized that we didn't necessarily have the best feedstock supply chain. Our goal was to rely on these algae biofuel companies to use their wasted or you know, byproduct algae meal or their, their leftover algae biomass after they pull all the oil and biofuel out of it. Um, however, most of those companies were either going out of business or had gone out of business, or we were skeptical that they were even gonna be able to make it in the long term. So- Oh no. We, yeah, so we essentially said, okay, we have to control our own destiny here. And so we left our, our comfy homes of, of Athens, Georgia, and we moved to a very, very rural area in Alabama. Uh, near about a hundred thousand acres of catfish farms so this was an aquaculture area uh, with a large quantity of fish farms and fish ponds so we made some connections with uh, uh, one of the heads of the industry in that area and we started basically building from scratch uh, mobile algae harvesting systems trailers that we could deploy in kind of remote um uh, locations ponds that would drive over berms, so relatively nimble agile equipment uh, that could be ran remotely or could plug into you know uh, generators or whatever and uh, harvest algae in a way that was cost effective and very efficient and then it was safe for the ecosystem that was our number one criteria because we couldn't you know compromise the safety of these fish ponds. These were people's livelihoods in our hands. and if we did if we messed up and, and caused a fish kill, it represented you know tens of thousands of dollars of damage to our partner and we just couldn't tolerate that. So from the beginning when we engineered our systems, ecosystem safety, uh, agility and uh, and simplicity was really the name of the game. And so we ended up finding a, an old feed mill, an old catfish feed mill that was in the kind of in the middle of nowhere and we, it was abandoned and we, 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 uh, we kind of took it over and, and fixed it up and we built over two and a half years a pretty vertically integrated algae production system that bol- basically bolted onto these these ponds or these big algae rich ponds so the catfish when you feed the fish um, the fish waste turns into nutrients phosphorus nitrogen ammonia and these are you know, we're in the south so lots of sunlight and it's very warm and so you had all these these big algae blooms basically happening eight months a year or more. And they oh, no. represented major problems to the fish farmers. Yeah. So we were there to help clean the fish farms up and, tr- and try to um, generate and, and show that we can turn the, 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 the green water into a, to a biomass at that point in time. Um, kind of fast forward more recently, we have gotten a lot of inquiries about that equipment. And in, in last year, or actually the past two years, specifically last year, we have been leasing and partnering with companies like AECOM for using that same infrastructure because of the same reasons, because of the safety, because of the mobility, um, because of the efficiency to go out and actually clean up wild algae blooms in Fort Myers and Gainesville um, and in other areas uh, that have been affected by these, you know, really bad blue green algae blooms uh, to help remediate the environment. Um, So that was an example of us. um, Basically, Starting the, from ground zero, building up um, <laughs> the, the the infrastructure to to essentially achieve a feedstock in our that we're, that's in our control, and then later that same infrastructure, although we've brought on other partners and other uh, companies that are also providing algae to us, but our units have ended up being almost more valuable in the environmental remediation world than they were originally in the catfish world. So, um, yeah. so yeah.
0: That's a very cool story. I mean, I guess your intention all along was to clean up the environment, but now it's on like an even bigger scale beyond just what you guys are doing. That's very cool. I also wanted to talk a little bit about where you guys went after you figured out the material you were going to produce. What other products did you try out before you got to the cool shoes? (laughs)
1: Yeah, well, so when I was in grad school, we filed a patent on uh, algae plastic flower pots. That was our initial thing. We were going to make flower Okay. Products. At the time, it seemed brilliant, right? They were going to buy <laughs> the gray. They were going to accelerate the growth of the plants. The, you know, this oh, seemed yeah. like it made perfect sense. Um, we spent a couple of years working with uh, several different companies, converters, injection molders, and, and brands that w- to, to try to commercialize the technology. Mm-hmm. And we found that just, you know, they just didn't really... Care that much, <laughs> you know that <they>, you know. <laughs> they were using recycled plastic bottles, so their their cost of their plastic was really cheap. They mm-hmm. they're not really a big market, like they're not a marketing firm, right? So they don't they didn't yeah, have sure. they didn't have they didn't they couldn't achieve the value. And of course, at us you know we were that was very early for us, so we were expensive. You know, it was small scale, and but we never even really made it to that. We we had some people in the organizations, a couple champions, more on the marketing side, but they had very limited marketing and and i think we were before our time i mean this was like in 2011 2012 maybe 2013 so it was a little early i think um now everybody's looking for sustainability but at that time yeah. you know it was cool but it really wasn't that uh, you know of significant interest um so then after <laughs> it when has the flower plot to, be thing of interest
0: to the greater market right not just the niche market yeah well, yeah it,
1: it, I mean, when you go to Lowe's, are you really looking at your? I don't know. It was it was kind of a weird <laughs> it was kind of a weird sales pitch because we didn't know and we were yeah. early. We were we were you know we were a bunch of college kids. We didn't know what what we were doing in the business side, so like it was really hard. So got it. So then that was when we started Bloom Foam, and then with Bloom Foam it was interesting because when we first started we thought we liked the footwear space because. Uh, the footwear companies, I mean, they're marketing and design firms, right? They really don't manufacture much. And some of the smaller brands don't even have innovation teams. They're looking for companies that can help them with their material innovation. You know, the big guys, yeah, they've got, you know, Told teams of people that you know that's all I do is look into new materials, but not everybody has that capability. So we saw an opportunity to be able to leverage our story, leverage our technology in a way that was attractive to the brands. And so when we first started doing the the business development there, we got real excited because you know the four companies were into it. They liked it. They liked the idea. We were able to generate some early prototypes that met generally met specifications we were able to you know kind of address and fix some of our technical challenges we had with some of the products the foams actually worked rather well we were able to hit the performance standards we were able to (laughs) color them in a wide range of colors so we got I mean we were really excited about this so we go and talk to one of the largest footwear companies and they said they were excited so we're like all right this is great What you know you guys ready to buy some resin because you know geez we we need to sell some resin we got to keep this business going (laughs) right and they're like well you know, we don't actually make anything. We everything's subcontracted to Asian manufacturing partners that are all basically Chinese or Vietnamese companies that own their own factories, and we buy from them. Yeah. So you guys gotta go figure that out and then oh. come back to us once you get that worked out and then let's see what we can do oh goodness that's that's <laughs> not what we were wanting to hear
0: <laughs> yeah
1: you know tough time really financially very very tough time for us we ended up going to china several of us moved to china uh spent months and months there several trips i mean i think our ceo had over uh, 13 or 14 trips i was there several months we had our sales guys business guy, business development guys our technical people were there i mean it was this was a major effort but we were successful in going to China, hiring a, 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 ch- a domestic Chinese uh, footwear professionals that came from some of the big brands, knew the business, knew the factories. We then set up a trading company, a tier two trading company. We hired technical expertise there and we started working and partnering with tier two, which basically is the foam conversion factories themselves, built some good relationships there. And between our team, our our. our Algix team there in China, or our, our Bloom team, we called it Dongguan Bloom Trading, was the name of the company, the name of our company there. As well as with our partner factories, we were able to create a wide range of foams that met, you know, pretty much the gamut of footwear applications. So insoles, midsoles, outsoles, sandals, sheets, traction pads for surfboards. I mean, all these different products. And that took about a year and a half to get all that worked out. Um, but now, after the pain of all that, uh, we have basically a turnkey supply chain now to where we can, our US team goes, works with brands directly, and those brands can uh, talk to their factories. They can request samples, prototypes, you know, and put in production orders to our trading company or to their factory, and our trading company will support their factory or one of our partner factories in producing at commercial scale, uh, bloom foam products in any form. So all these different, you know, we can sell resin pellets, we can sell sheet or the factories can sell them the full components or even in some cases, the full finished shoe. So, you know, oh, wow. and it kind of, a, so by the end of it, within, you know, eight <laughs> years of starting, we were like, you know, growing algae off, off wastewater and, you know, textile wastewater. And then the next thing you know, you know, eight years later we're, we're selling, we're literally selling, selling shoes, you know, to, to these brands for them to sell on, in the market as a, as a tier two trading company. So it's been, A interesting adventure to say the least.
0: Definitely an adventure. And I think it's so cool that you're able to outline all this because I think a lot of people have like a passion for this sort of thing. Or even if you're just talking from the business side, people don't think about how much trial and error um, it takes and also just how many things you had to learn aside from just creating the product in the first place because that's where you started. And now you're like a marketer, an innovator, (laughs) all these different things, you know? So, very cool to hear your story.
1: Well, One um, one thing we got, too, back from the brands was that when we, when we were launching this, you know, nobody really wanted to – everybody wanted to call it their own thing, right? Because we hadn't done mm-hmm. any advertising. We were, again, that best-kept secret that no one knew about. So <laughs> we kind of realized that, and we started getting some advice from some business consultants and our board of advisors. And they're like, you guys need to start investing some money into marketing and start raising awareness on what you guys have done because it's, it's – quite frankly, it's kind of crazy what all you guys have done here. So, you know, we're pretty humble and we, so we didn't, we don't really like, you know, trying to pat ourselves on the back or anything, but finally, you know, mar- we, we hired in a marketing group and they're like, all right, here's what we need to do. So just this past, you know, December, we started doing, you know, social media, Instagram, Facebook, and really are, are trying to build our brand at the consumer level, such that when they see that name bloom, they correlate that with upcycling pollution from the environment into, you know valuable you know cool innovative products within a relatively short time we've we've really made a name for ourselves within the industry itself i mean the developers the designers the material people they all know us in the footwear industry which is great but you know we also need to extend that awareness to the market itself such that when people are out there making you know purchasing decisions and buying decisions and if they see that or you know, if they can see a hang tag, we offer hang tags for for our brands if they if they want they don't have to do that but if they want to that help tell a story, they can tie us back to bloom. And then we're working to say, okay, well, it's one thing for us to support the brand for the raw material and for the, you know, all the stuff that we've done so far, but it's almost yeah. like that wasn't enough. Even all the stuff that we did, they're like, yeah, yeah, that's great, you, you, you did it, but you still gotta, you still gotta tell a story now. You gotta build that brand image. And so we realized that was an important component as well. So now we're trying to build that consumer level awareness such that uh, as these products get launched from the brands that people buy them, because it's the right thing to do and they want, you know, sustainability does sell if, if we can tell the story correctly and connect with people on an emotional level.
0: Now, I think that the innovations that algics have already come up with is amazing. Bloom foam upcycling pollution into something valuable is so creative, and so innovative. So I think that they've been able to take this algae that is otherwise known as pollution, and they've been able to turn it into not just the bloom foam that we've been covering today, but multiple other products. And I'm curious, what does Algix have up their sleeve? What is next? What products can we expect from them? Let's ask Ryan
1: certainly as the you know the, the you know the Millennials and zennials and all this kind of stuff start becoming a large <laughs> percentage of the market for us you know that consumer market they care we care you know so we really are trying to get the word out and that's the reason I'm so you know happy to be here on the podcast to be able to talk about you know what we've done and how, and how we're growing and, and and we're not done and we've got a lot of other innovations in rubber and eco coatings and other functional technologies that can be uh, complementary to our bloom foam uh, that we're we're working with with brands right now for product launches, uh, you know, in 2019 and 2020. So there's there's mm. new stuff coming out of the pipeline beyond just the the traditional bloom foams that I showed you.
0: Could you are you allowed to talk to us a little about what's upcoming for Bloom or or not so much?
1: Yeah, um, yeah. So I mean, the two ones that I can talk about are we have a similar compound that's like our like our bloom foam for the for the midsole and insole, but it's a higher abrasion resistance rubber. So we have a thermoplastic rubber and we have a synthetic rubber blend um, that uses the and and actually a natural rubber blend as well so these are similar concepts we're displacing a percentage of that raw material of the you know either petroleum-based or you know natural rubber-based compounds and we're displacing that with algae so a little bit different technology a little bit different processing we're having (laughs) to kind of create another supply chain to an extent for that but um, but it is, it is working and, and there's a lot of, it's early. We're, there's still room for a lot of improvement. So we're hoping that over time we can increase the loading levels. And that's kind of across the board. I mean, even with our standard product, we have new compounds that we're developing that are using different base resins that are higher performing and using better you know, additives that help that, you know, help improve the, the compatibilization as it's called to uh, either A, allow us to achieve higher performance or B allow us to achieve higher loading levels, or you know, or maybe some combination of both. And then yeah. the other product that we just launched this year um, is is kind of cool. It's 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 also one of these nature-inspired concepts. We went back to algae and looked at how does algae defend itself against bacteria during its growth cycle. So when algae grows and it it's surrounded by bacteria in the water and yet somehow it doesn't get infections it doesn't get eaten doesn't get consumed it's able to defend itself against this dense bacterial population how does it do it mm-hmm. so as we looked into it there's two fundamental mechanisms one is a, a biomolecular or a, um, a compound that it creates that helps defend against the bacteria and, and fungus uh, we started working on that originally, and we just could not, after a couple of years of research, we just couldn't get it to be at the level of commercial significance. We couldn't get it be, to run consistently enough. All the heat and the shear and the the, the forces required to convert that product uh, broke down the organic compound, and we lost its efficacy. So we ended up looking at a different approach that algae does. It, also, it When algae photosynthesizes, it releases a large quantity of oxygen. In fact, our atmospheres are here because of all the, you know, algae and and plant life that does this. Yeah, largely. Largely, yeah, produces all this oxygen. So that oxygen supersaturates the environment around the cell and it inhibits the growth of bacteria. And the algae, since they're, uh, you know, at least the green algae are eukaryotes, they can actually not only produce high levels of oxygen, but also can have what's called oxygen radicals or, you know, imagine like a hydrogen peroxide molecule. Mm -hmm. So they can help. You disinfect its surface in a way. So we said, okay, well, if is doing that, maybe that's a, an approach that we can take for our foams and for our products and for our customers, you know, for our customers' products. And so we, we did a partnership with an R&D group out of Florida where we now have an inorganic coating that can be applied to any fabric or any foam, mostly focused on footwear, but we're also getting into apparel now as well and it's essentially a controlled release form of hydrogen peroxide or kind of like an oxyclean like product and so it's sweat activated when you sweat on the in the shoe or sweat on the garment uh tiny amounts of hydrogen peroxide are essentially excreted out of the 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 substrate which is um it's a similar ingredient that's used in sunscreen um uh and uh, it self-sanitizes the surface so it keeps the surface clean keeps it fresh and uh, and the goal is to allow that product to last longer because one of the key elements of sustainability is a long, durable, lasting product. The longer that product lasts, means you don't have to create it again. So mm-hmm. we have a, a you know, I mean, yeah, there, you know, people are always like, oh, you want to you know, you want to make you know, what's it called planned obsolescence, right? I think oh no, you know, I hate that hates, word so much. Everybody hates that, right?
0: Hold up. What was that word that Ryan said he hated, and I agreed, I hated it as well, the phrase planned obsolescence. In layman's terms, it means that producers plan for your products to fail. It is very different than the old way of making a product where you made something to last. In today's world, it is a very common practice to plan for your own products to break down so that the consumer goes out and purchases it again. And the goal here is to find the sweet spot between where someone will say, oh, that was so crappy, I'm not Buying it again, and oh, if that lasted long enough for the what I paid for it. I'll purchase it again. The official definition is a policy of producing consumer goods that rapidly become obsolete and so require replacing, achieved by frequent changes in design, termination of the supply of spare parts, and the use of non-durable materials. So I was so proud to hear Ryan say that he is not going to buy into that sort of marketing, that sort of production plan where you plan for your item to fail, that way you can convince your customers to buy more from you just because you made a subpar product to begin with. So that is an amazing key sustainability factor to look for in sustainable products, and I'm really relieved to hear that Algix and Bloom Foam stand behind no obsolescence.
1: So we're like, you know what? Let's not do that. Let's try to make these shoes last as long as possible. How do we do that? Well, let's make them not get funky as easily. Let's defend <laughs> against all this fouling problems. Um, And let's use sustainable materials and and sustainable technologies to achieve that. So, you know, that's how I think in the the industry it's called biomimicry or like more the academic space. It's called biomimicry, mimicking nature, mimicking biology. So that's really the core of our company is looking at nature, being inspired by nature on how it achieves things. It's got a long, a lot longer track history than we have to solve these problems. And it does so in a very creative way. So, how can we leverage that knowledge and that th- those systems in a way that can bring value to our everyday products? That that's really the the core mission of our company.
0: Nothing is cooler than everything we just talked about, from pollution to the solution. I just think it's so cool. Um, <laughs> I told you I am. Uh, I work with a brand called United by Blue, and they're collaborating with another company called Soul, uh, and they are using your products. Yeah, and that shoe like should arrive, that's Yeah, kind of that's yeah, that shoe should arrive on my doorstep within the next couple of weeks and oh, I'll nice. test it out.
1: Perfect. So. Yeah, I'm looking forward to getting your feedback on it. I'm wearing my uh, I got some Parlay on uh, right now. That's the Dottie Dots with the ocean plastic products. So we're trying to also collaborate with other you know, products that are using the recycled ocean plastics because that's a nice synergistic feel talking about, you know, not not just ocean plastic pollution, but, you know, they're also looking at micro pollution and. One type of micropollution is not just microplastics, but also the micronutrients, you know, phosphates and nitrate and ammonia, and all these things we talked about earlier. So I think it it, it fits the narrative quite well. And at the end of the day, it's 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 helping um, improve the impacts on our on our oceans, which are critical for the you know, the planet survival. So
0: exactly. awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here, Ryan. I'm really excited to get this episode out to our audience. That's going to be it for today.
1: All right. Thank you, Shelby. I really appreciate it. It's been great talking to you.
0: Absolutely. You too. Thank you. Again, that was Ryan from Algix, the creator of Bloom Foam as well, and you can keep an eye out for this material coming to a retailer near you, as well as the United by Blue shoes that I talked about that is in collaboration with Soul. I should be receiving those any day now, and I will be sharing more about that on my social media, and I really, really enjoyed having this conversation with Ryan today, so I hope you enjoyed it as well, and if you did, it would mean the world to us if you left us a review on iTunes. It really helps us gauge what you're enjoying and what you'd like to see more of. Or share it on social media with your friends and family so that more people can learn about these awesome eco-friendly alternatives. Also, if you have any suggestions for the podcast and who you'd like to see as a guest, feel free to reach out to me on Instagram at shelbizzle, S-H-E-L-B-I-Z-L-E-E-E or you can send me an email at podcast at ubuntu, U-B-U-N-T-O-O.com. I'm your host, Shelby, and thanks for listening and we'll see you next week.